1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: Well, it's the nightmare that perhaps sends chills up the spine of every parent who's loved their child, nurtured their child, taught their child respect, manners, what it means to be honorable, what it means to love God. It's the call that comes in the wee hours of the morning that no parent wants to receive.
3: We were in a deep sleep when the phone rang. I saw my husband pick up the receiver and he had a look of shock and horror come over his face. I got married to Jean Kent two months after we graduated from the university we attended and we didn't have two dimes to rub together and uh, we really thought you could live on love and we had uh, some wonderful times in those early years. But we waited five years before I gave birth to Jason Paul Kent. He was born on a beautiful fall day, and it was one of the happiest days of my life. From the very beginning, he had a sparkle in his eyes.
4: As a Christian author and public speaker, Carol Kent has shared the truth of God's Word with thousands. She and her husband, Gene, raised their son, Jason, in a loving, Christ-centered home. They were proud parents as Jason grew up and fulfilled his dreams, graduating from the Naval Academy
3: soon after his graduation he had met a young woman named april later that summer it was august i was speaking at an arena event in denver and we called home four messages and jason's voice was on voicemail my only child was asking to marry a woman i had never met next friday Not only was he asking to marry a woman I had never met, he was asking to marry a previously married woman who had two children next Friday. And that was not on my agenda for my son's life. My son was very much in love. He was getting married. A week and a half later, April came into our lives and it did not take me long to love April. And behind them in came six-year-old Chelsea and three-year-old Hannah. Allegations
4: of abuse surrounded a custody battle between April and her first husband.
3: A little over a year after Jason and April had married, we were in a deep sleep when the phone rang. I saw my husband pick up the receiver and he had a look of shock and horror come over his face. And he said, Carol, Jason has just been arrested for the murder of his wife's first husband. My first thought was, I must be living in the middle of a horrific nightmare. I will soon wake up and everything will be okay.
4: But everything was far from okay.
3: My son killed a man. And we could have no do-overs. We couldn't fix things. There was another family, a father, a stepmother, and a sister planning a funeral. And there was enough grief to go around again and again and again.
4: The next day, Carol received a call from an Orlando jail. It was her son.
3: He said, Mom, I've just been jumped by 10 inmates. They were kicking me and kicking me in the head. He said, My two front teeth have been broken off. I have a cut in my ear. I've been kicked in the eyes. I'm really busted up. I heard this guttural roar come out of the depths of my being. I had never heard that sound before. And I raised my hands palm-side up to the Lord, and I just said, God, I cannot do this journey. Please take me home to be with you right now. I cannot watch my son suffer like this. I can't do this, please, please help me. And then the mama part of me kicked in, and I suddenly realized that our son needed his parents more than he had ever needed us before in his life. And I got on that plane the next day, and I flew to Florida. He was fresh from the beating. So I first saw the scabs and his cuts and all of the bruising. And then I saw those jagged front teeth. And when our eyes finally met, I looked at my boy and I said, Jason Paul Kent, there is nothing you could ever do that would stop my unconditional love for you, son. Your dad and I are here for you. All the while I was questioning why God, who is all-knowing and all-powerful, why he didn't stop this? Why didn't he give my son a flat tire before he got to that parking lot? My prayers were desperate in those days. I would try to remind myself of what I had taught others through the years about biblical truth. You have hope. You have a future because Jesus lives and I started to pray. God, I give to you what I cannot control. I give to you all my expectations about our happy family reunions and about having my family around my Thanksgiving table. God, I give to you the results of this trial. God, I I can't fix this. And I am relinquishing to you what I cannot control.
4: The jury found Jason guilty and he was sentenced to life in prison without parole.
3: He was 25 years old at the time of his offense, and he was given a toe-tag sentence. It means you will never again leave a Florida State penitentiary until you are dead on a slab with a tag on your toe. It is forever. It's hard for me to admit this, but I like the new me better than the old me. I'm a mess now. I'm just a messy, blubbering mama who realizes that Jesus loves me right where I am instead of being all proper and put together. We had our Christmas dinner out of vending machines last Christmas. The rest of the Christmases of my life, I'll be in a maximum security prison visiting my son. I've discovered a whole lot about the fact that experiencing Christmas means to remember what Jesus did for us, going to the cross and paying the price for my sin and the sin of the whole world. And that's why I have hope today.
2: What happens when, as a parent, everything you do right and then everything you do seems wrong? Carol Kent joins us now. And, uh, of course, Carol is an award-winning author, speaker, and founder of Speak Up for Hope. And, Carol, thanks so much for being with us today.
3: Well, it's an honor to be on the air with you, Craig.
2: Your, your story, I know, has all of us just in the grips of uh, a sense of, of, of loss for you. Um, every parent must think, I now understand what truly must be the parent's worst nightmare.
3: Well, it certainly was uh, something that would never have been listed on 100 possible things that could happen to our family. Uh, Our son was a a model student. Uh, He never got into trouble, graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy, and had a heart to do the right thing. And he became very obsessed with the need to protect his stepdaughters when he realized a judge was about to take away supervised visitation from their biological father who Jason believed had been abusive to them. So it uh, put him in a downward spiral emotionally, spiritually, and uh, in every way until he made a choice that he today would say, I began to make an idol out of my own ability to protect my girls instead of entrusting in God alone to be their protector, instead of teaching them to dial 911, to run and scream and yell as much as they can. And I was wrong, and I am paying a very severe price for it.
2: The, the irony as much as you and your husband, Gene, have parents have sort of paid the price for the, the actions Of your son, Uh, it it was J.P. acting in a very parently fashion in one respect, albeit you know certainly beyond the the law or what God would have us to do. But acting in a very parental fashion, um, over absolute concern for what might potentially happen to um, his two stepdaughters, and his concern for Hannah and Chelsea sounds like it just overwhelmed his his ability to think through the end game.
3: Well, I I know God never goes against his word and so we never justify what Jason did because it was wrong, but we certainly understand the fear and the obsession of uh, just being overwhelmed with one day having one of the girls look at him and say, Daddy, why didn't you protect us? Mm-hmm. And he, he shares from his letters in one of my books, Between a Rock and a Grace Place, how he just became uh, so obsessed with that dream of the girls asking why he didn't protect them.
2: If you've just joined our conversation tonight, visiting with award-winning author, speaker, and founder of Speak Up for Hope, Carol Kent. Carol's new book is called Waiting Together, Hope and Healing for Families of Prisoners. We'll take a brief time out and get back to more of Carol's story as this edition of Lifeline continues.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: So what happens as a parent when you do everything right and yet everything seems to go wrong? We're visiting today with award-winning author, speaker, and the founder of Speak Up for Hope, Carol Kent. Carol's latest book is called Waiting Together, Hope and Healing for Families of Prisoners. And Carol, the amazing thing is in this book, as you have in your other books, you focus so much on this concept of hope, and yet at every turn it seemed as if this particular situation involving your son was completely, totally hopeless from the moment of his arrest to his incarceration to the ultimate decision handed down by the judge. And as you mentioned there in uh, the opening introduction, um, Jason, at this point, faces no opportunity for parole. His appeals appear to be exhausted. How does one in the midst of what appears to be the most hopeless scenario any parent could ever be handed, yet still find rays of hope?
3: Well, I think we have a choice when we are in that spot, Craig, and it is to shrivel up and die emotionally, uh, stay inside, don't respond to text messages or emails or even your doorbell, or you say, God, how can I redeem this situation and use this suffering as a platform upon which I can give other people hope? And so Jason has now been uh, inside jail and uh, then subsequently prison for 16 and a half years, and uh, soon after he was sentenced to, to life without parole, we launched the nonprofit organization Speak Up for Hope because we found ourselves waiting in long lines with parents and with spouses who were going in to see their loved one. And we realized the tremendous needs of these families. And then we thought, what can we do to enhance Jason's ministry on the inside? And we began working with him to figure out what could help him if we could get books and study materials into the chapel programs, uh, what are the types of studies that the men need, and uh, how can we get coloring books and crayons and games into the visitation areas so children have something to do with their incarcerated parents while they're sitting at tables for long hours. And uh, we started to realize if we looked around and saw what we could do to help there could be some redemption in the middle of what felt like agonizing pain.
2: So hope then, as you're describing, I I think is not something, Carol, that just sort of comes to you. It's not a delivered to you necessarily on a uh, silver platter. It's it's something that, that, that you make. It's something that you work for, something that you look for.
3: Well, we certainly were blessed by many people who prayed for us, and that, to me, is the greatest source of power that propels you in the direction of hope. But we also uh, had people who wanted to visit our son and write to him. And when you have God's people who are gathering around and becoming what they called our structure bearers, carrying us when we could not carry ourselves, we truly knew that uh, God was moving in ways that we never could have imagined. And uh, my husband is, is someone who has a compassionate heart as well. And if we're if we have any listeners today who have incarcerated loved ones, they know rules for visitation change all of the time. And I had been saying at home to my husband, uh, what's happening to your black T shirts? The pile is getting shorter and shorter. I know dryers eat socks, but I didn't think they ate T shirts. (laughs) And he said, You'll find out soon enough and we were waiting in line to go in through the visitation process, which can take us up to two hours here in the state of Florida. And a woman had been turned away because the rules had changed, and she had on a sleeveless blouse, and she was sobbing. And I noticed Jean, my husband, had disappeared from where he was standing in the line. He emerged from our trunk carrying a black T-shirt. He said, here, ma'am, put this on and go to the front of the line. Have a wonderful visit with your family member. It's my gift to you today. He came back to where I was standing in the line, and I said, so that's what's been happening to your T-shirts. He looked at me. He said, it's my ministry. Well, Craig, a month later I was speaking in Wisconsin, shared that story, and about three weeks later I received a big box of black T-shirts from someone who had attended the event. The note inside said, dear Carol, I work for a T-shirt-making company, and I can buy them very inexpensively. Please use this donation for your husband's T-shirt ministry through his trunk distribution program. It's my gift to the ministry. And, Craig, we are finding that if we can keep our eyes on doing something to tangibly help others, it can keep our focus on eternity instead of our sadness in the day-to-day.
2: Did you find moments, and of course, you know, many people know you, Carol. They know that you've had a speaking and writing ministry for many, many years. And as you you went through the horror of that first early morning phone call and eventually through the processing of uh, the trial, the conviction, and and coming to terms with the reality, this is the new normal for your family. Yes, it is the the challenge, and I'm sure anybody listening right now would say, "My goodness how how do you, how do you learn to trust God? How do you hang on to morsel morsels of trust in God when the the unthinkable of this sort happens? Is it is it something where you have to not only hang on to to your your sense of faith, but also to make the decision, the active decision to trust Him?
3: Absolutely. And I truly believe when we're in a new normal where the life we once anticipated is never going to be what we dreamed of, but it's a new kind of reality that's harder, much tougher that there are a series of choices we need to make. And that first choice for me was to choose life instead of a kind of emotional death. And then I needed to trust people. And choosing to trust people when you don't know who knows your story is a very frightening thing, because we're always wondering if people have read the papers and know what's happened, and will they judge me for being a terrible mother or uh, will they think I'm, I was spiritually somehow not together, that this would have happened to our family? So once you trust people, it gives you a secure place from which you can live your life. And uh, we soon discovered that there really is a power in vulnerability. I was teaching a Bible study fellowship class, and one of the women who knew my story came up to me one day, and she said, Carol, I used to think you were perfect, but now I think we could be friends. And if we could all just understand that once we are the real deal about our journey, and uh, for many people it is an incarcerated loved one, but they have other struggles or embarrassments or things that have happened or wrong choices they've made or their children or spouses have made, and that once we are real about these things and open, It opens everybody else to share where their lives have not been perfect. And people will always identify more with our failures than with our successes. And then true bonding and ministry can begin to happen.
2: It really teaches, I would imagine, under those circumstances as well, Carol, what real faith is about. Because let's face it, it's easy for us to have faith when things are in control, when we're in control, all that is working, uh, you know, quite nicely, all of the plans that we had as, uh, you know, young kids or newlyweds, whatever the case might be, uh, is all in nice, neat order. And then suddenly something or some things occur. That demonstrate to us that the world around us, in fact, is chaos, it's an absolute mess, that we're not in control. In fact, that control is an illusion, and suddenly uh, the God that we gave uh, mental assent to now suddenly moves into a whole new position in our lives, doesn't he?
3: Well, and we have to we have to say uh, in our hearts, do we truly believe God is good and he is trustworthy? And there are many times when we have doubts. And and I, I remember pounding my fists into the floor, just flat on my face before God, asking why. And then I could not resist leaning into his embrace. He was all I had And I am watching my son make such positive choices where he is. He's taken over 700 men through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University course, teaching them how to do a budget. And he's been the the leader of Toastmasters on the inside. They call it Gavel Club, and he's teaching guys how to communicate. And they've just started a Bible seminary at the prison where he is and uh, he works with youth realm, which are the youngest, newest guys on the compound, the new inmates, and he exercises with them and helps lead them in athletics, so he can earn the right to share his faith with them and I realize that even if Jason is not allowed to walk in freedom in this lifetime, his life is not without purpose; mm. it has meaning, and uh, I, as a mom and my husband, as his father, can help to facilitate and advocate from outside and make sure there are resources there that will help him to live his faith out in an unlikely place.
2: And it's interesting because even as you would look at this scenario and say what a meaningless, horrible event has taken place here uh, that has irreparably changed in the twinkling of an eye all of your lives and forever, and yet as you struggle to find meaning and purpose in all of that, God can shine his light into that area and and, and show us value. And, it, you know, it takes me back to the passage of Scripture that what the enemy intended for evil, God can turn and use for his glory, use for good. We just have to be willing to let go, to trust God, and to realize that, no, we don't have it all together. And in fact, that's probably not necessarily a bad thing, because when we're all not all together, it gives us an opportunity to lean into him and onto him. Our guest today, Carol Kent, best-selling author. Her new book is called Waiting Together: Hope and Healing for Families of Prisoners. More of our conversation with Carol Kent as Lifeline continues.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: Back to our conversation, Carol Kent, the book Waiting Together, Hope and Healing for Families of Prisoners. Let's come back to this issue of of finding hope in the midst of all of this. Walk us through more of your journey at, at the moment of which the reality of what your son had done and was facing uh, kind of clicked with you mentally and in your heart as a mother and in, in Jean's heart as a father, what was your first immediate sense of reaction, Fli- fight or flight?
3: Oh, I, I think immediately we went into this breathe, do the next thing mode. Uh, the call came in the middle of the night. I had nausea sweep all over me. I tried to get out of bed. My, head, my legs would not hold my weight. I crawled into my office and finally got a number for the Orlando jail. And while still on the floor, I called and asked for my son. And a rude voice on the other end of the line said, Lady, we ain't got nobody by that name. Jason Ken in here. Lady, your son ain't here. And uh, for a moment, hope returned. But as hour followed hour, the facts of the case were confirmed. And uh, we realized our son had indeed pulled a trigger in a public parking lot and a man had died and we we went through the those lies of the enemy where he would just target us and say in a taunting way in our minds if you had been a better parent this wouldn't have happened or if you had been less busy you could have fixed this thing before it took Place, or if you had just read your Bible more consistently and prayed more intensely, this wouldn't have happened. All lies, 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 and it took two and a half years and seven postponements before this case finally made it to a courtroom, and that is a very long time to wait, Craig. And during that time period, uh, we were traveling from Michigan to Florida in order to visit our son. So it was expensive. It was uh, a harsh reality every time. And of course the first time I visited my son and saw his face filled with scabs from that terrible beating he'd gotten from 10 inmates jumping on him. I could, hardly, I, I could hardly view what had happened. There was a slit in his ear. Both eyes were fully bloodshot. His two front teeth were broken off. And I, I just cannot even begin to put into words what a mother goes through. And so I got out to the jailhouse parking lot and uh, that i i just remember opening my hands to the lord and just saying god i cannot do this journey please god i can't do it and then i found myself flooded with reminders of abraham in genesis twenty two where god asked him to sacrifice his only son on an altar now but my boy was no isaac my son had taken the life of another human being that wasn't Isaac's story but I could identify with Abraham, the parent who had to relinquish control of the son he loved so much.
2: There must have been moments of, beyond just the sheer numbness of this experience, particularly over that long period of time, from the initial arrest to going to trial and then waiting for the jury and the decision being handed down and, and all of that, where you must have just walked around in a, in a haze. You must have felt numb most of the time
3: definitely and i think for everyone who goes through a life-shattering shocking experience there is that period of numbness before you can start to live again and for me it was a slow process but i discovered that it was god's people who began to minister to us who helped us learn how to breathe again i remember having to do speaking engagements, because that was the only way we could make a living. My husband traveled with me, and it was heartbreaking. And I remember one time finishing an engagement, and a a dear couple who were part of our Structure Bearer team took us out for dinner. And afterwards, uh, they handed us a Bible. And they said, we've highlighted every scripture in this Bible that has the word hope in it. Mm. We thought you might need some of these reminders before the trial. And it's people like that who held us together in the middle of our tears with overwhelming love and support.
2: It's amazing how through something like this where you begin almost convinced, certainly by the enemy, that God has abandoned you or that somehow he's gone on vacation, no longer hearing your prayers or has, uh, has gone AWOL, and yet through the deepest, darkest moments, he shows up in so many of the most unexpected ways.
3: One of the most expected ways was after our son was sent to prison, he had an appendicitis attack. And we found out later that his appendix had actually burst and we were putting Christmas ornaments away. The phone rang, it was the officer in charge at the prison. And he said, Mr. and Mrs. Kent, your son was in terrible pain last night, and he was rushed to a hospital. They did a scan and discovered his burst appendix. It was too small of a hospital for them to do the surgery there. He's been taken to a much larger hospital. He had surgery last night. I said, where is he? They said, we can't tell you. That would be a security risk. And I found my heart agonizing. Um I said, is he all right? They. He said, well, yes, he came through surgery. He'll probably be back on the compound tomorrow. I said, you're telling me he'll be sent back to prison tomorrow after septic toxins were flooding through his system? And they said, well, they don't keep them long these days. Hmm. For the next five days, we called every day, and he had not been brought back to the prison. And I began to pray that God would send somebody to be like a mama for my boy. And two weeks later, we found out that we could see him. He had eventually been sent back to the prison, and he said, Mom, the most amazing thing happened. He said uh, there were two armed guards at my door 24 hours a day, and he said I had leg irons on my ankles and a chain between my legs. He said I couldn't even sit up, much less walk or run, but that was protocol. And he said, at one point, my back hurt so badly that one of the nurses put me in a chair beside the bed. And he said, Mom, she was so kind to me. Her name was Nurse Betty. And when it was time for me to get up and get back into bed, she put her arms around me and she just held me. And she said, Son, you just lean on me until you get your bearings. And he said, Mom, it was just like you were hugging me. She didn't let go. And he said, God used her to make me know that somebody cared. And she was on duty the day that Jason was released, and she wheeled him down the corridor toward the van that would transport him back to the prison. And she leaned over and she said, Jason, I was married to an abusive man the first time around. But she said, "Uh, I am now married to the man you see who's a custodian at the end of that hall, and he's a godly man and a kind man, and I'm so grateful for him. And do you know, I realized, Craig, that God had sent somebody to be like a mama to my boy, when I couldn't even know where he was. And do you know that my husband and I have tried to contact Nurse Betty to thank her? And no one at that hospital has ever heard of her. And we sometimes wonder if God sent an angel in disguise for Jason's comfort and protection.
2: We'll pause on that point. Can you stay with us for one more segment, Carol? I can. I want to take a time out. come back to more of our conversation. We're really wrestling through this question of finding God in the midst of circumstances that seem to be so vacant of everything that's God, that seem to be completely, utterly hopeless. And for any parent who has done all the right things in raising a child, and as you've done everything you know is right to do— Everything suddenly seems to be so wrong and so out of your control. How do you find not only hope in the middle of all of that, how do you find God in the middle of all of that, and how do you find that point at which you can embrace an even deeper relationship with him through these times of trouble?" Our guest tonight, Carol Kent, Waiting Together, Hope and Healing for Families of Prisoners. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues.
1: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
2: Back to our conversation with award-winning author, speaker, and the founder of Speak Up for Hope, Carol Kent. Carol's latest book, by the way, is called Waiting Together, Hope and Healing for Families of Prisoners. It is the nightmare of every parent that you should receive the telephone call, that your son or daughter has been arrested, and worse so that they are eventually going to go to trial and be convicted of one of the, well, quite frankly, most serious felonies that anyone can ever commit. Once you go through all of that, that sense of having hope and your family completely stripped away, how do you find renewal through that experience in your relationship with God? Where do you find hope hiding in the corners? Is hope something that you just cling to? Do you consider yourself simply a survivor? Or can you actually learn how to survive and thrive? And that's a big point of the book, isn't it, Carol, this new one just released by Discovery House, that this matter of hope and healing for families is not just surviving through all of this experience, broken and wounded, but in fact, God can pick up those pieces, put them back together again, and while, yes, you live life under a new normal, you can learn to thrive.
3: It's really true. I remember leaving the prison one day with my mother and dad, who were in their late 80s, and my dad was wiping tears, and he said, you know, Carol, uh, I wish I could trade places with jason i'm old and he's young he has his whole life ahead of him but he said i can't do that and then he looked at me and he said honey your son is not just surviving he's thriving dad is watching the ministry that uh, jason has done and was so proud of him at that point point. and i realized later that uh, god has been at work in ways that we never ever could have anticipated and i was speaking in atlanta one weekend And I had been asked to share the story of our journey with Jason. And uh, a a week later, I got an email from a woman who said, Carol, thank you for sharing your story, and thank you for showing compassion for the victims as well as telling your own story. My own mother was murdered 13 years ago in a botched robbery in St. Petersburg, Florida. And I looked your son up on the Internet, and I discovered that he's in the same prison where uh, the man who murdered my mother is serving his life sentence his name is Matthew Ben Rodriguez. She said, for the last several years, I've been praying that someone would share his faith with Matt. Do you think Jason would try to meet him and share Jesus with him? Well, Craig, we're not allowed to initiate calls to our son. We respond to digitize, collect calls. So I printed the letter, and I mailed it to Jason. A couple of days later, I was at a visit. I said, Jason, do you know Matt Rodriguez? He said, Mom, he's one of my best friends. He's in my biblical counseling class. Yes. He's a dynamic Christian. He said, we don't live in the same quad. So after biblical counseling class, I said, hey, Matt, is your middle name Ben? He said, yes. Why would you ask? He said, Matthew, Ben Rodriguez. He said, yes. He said, well, then, Matt, I have a letter for you. And Jason handed Matthew the letter from the daughter of the woman he had murdered when a gun misfired during this robbery, saying she was praying for him to come to faith in Christ and matt began to weep and jason said you're going to meet matt today mom he's coming to visit because his sister will be here and a half hour later out came matthew he greeted his sister came over to my chair and he got right down on his knees with tears streaming down his cheeks he said mrs kent Thank you so much for sending that letter. I had already written a five-page letter to Tammy Wilson and her family asking for their forgiveness, but I've had no address to send the letter to. Will you ask Tammy if she'll receive my letter? I said, I sure will, Matt. Craig, I got home. I emailed Tammy Wilson. She emailed her address back. And since that time, multiple letters have passed back and forth between Tammy, her sister, and their brother, Patrick, who was in high school when their mother was murdered, and there has been forgiveness and reconciliation and redemption that I can only explain by God's mathematics. And I am discovering that even behind the razor wire of a maximum security prison, Jason Jason is thriving in his faith, and God is at work in ways that we are astounded by. You
2: know, I I guess at the end of the day, Carol, it is true that learning to trust God when the unthinkable happens still results in God being in the business of, of, of restoration and reconciliation.
3: That's so true.
2: As our time winds down, there are parents eavesdropping on this conversation tonight. Maybe they've never received that kind of phone call, but perhaps they've got a son or a daughter that's facing divorce, maybe economic challenges, maybe a son or a daughter that is the wayward prodigal son that has been caught up in a world of of drugs and who knows whatever vice, and their heart is absolutely aching. They feel as if there is no hope, there is no light, it's just nothing but complete utter hopelessness and darkness. Share for a few moments, if you would, from your heart, your perspective as a lover of Jesus and as a mother, um, how they can go about pulling together and finding hope and healing.
3: Well, first of all, I just want to say my heart aches for your pain and for your loss. And don't be afraid to express your sorrow to God. Uh, God is omnipresent. He can take care of everything that's happening overseas, and he can know intimately what's going on in your life, and he understands the pain. Voice it to him and tell him how, how sad you are. And then I want to say, don't be afraid to reach out to at least one other person and allow them to walk on the journey with you it helps so much if you don't do it alone and that's why the name of this book is called waiting together craig it's too hard to do it alone we need somebody to stand in the gap with us and uh, i i mentioned earlier that we had friends who did that and to this day there are people who who will call me at unexpected times and just say how are you doing today Or, I know it's Jason's birthday and that this is a hard day. Or, I know the Christmas holidays are especially hard because you'll be at the prison instead of with your family around a big table with a big turkey on it. I'm praying for you today. Allow yourself to receive that kind of support because sometimes we want to act like we're braver than we really are. And we put this big old facade on, a plastic smile, and act like we're okay. But we're really not okay. And allow people to weep with you and to wait with you. And then allow God to minister to your heart. Now, something that I quickly discovered is that uh, it was really hard to read the Bible because my eyes would be flooded with tears or I'd have to read the same verse five times because I was so upset I couldn't really understand it. And so I, I just took the time to allow God to bring to my mind Scripture I had memorized before the crisis. And God would often use those scriptures to minister to me. Uh, do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What a comfort scriptures like that are. And then look around. This is the single thing that made me have a a life again, I would look around and find one person who needed help worse than I do, and I would think of a tangible act of kindness I could do for that person in Jesus' name. And that was amazing. And for everybody listening, I just want to remind you that one out of every 100 adults in the United States is in jail or in prison in the United States higher per capita than any country in the world because we give longer maximum uh, minimum sentences and so you probably do know somebody who's incarcerated if you don't have an incarcerated loved one and uh, put $20 in the hand of that person and say your lunch next weekend out of the vending machine is on our family we're praying for you and just reach out and do something for someone else
2: as well. The book again is called Waiting Together Hope and Healing for Families of Prisoners newly published by Discovery House. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as through amazon.com. You can also get details about the book and Carol's ministry online at speakupforhope.org. That's speakupforhope.org. And Carol Kent, thanks so much for the time and for sharing your story
1: with us.